Are you excited to be here? A guy told me this morning, I asked him how he was doing. I won't, I won't mention his name to embarrass him. He said, man, I'm tired. I said, well, I understand. I said, maybe you can get a nap this afternoon. And he said with a straight face, are you preaching today? I said, I know, I usually sleep through it myself. So, If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be happy to give you one. Let's see if it's... Chad gave me a little toy. Ooh, that's cool. That, that light's kind of bright, in it? Put that right on John. The light of sin upon your life. I may not need it today. I think our lights are working. We shall see. If I need it, it's there. Thank you, Chad. What a nice guy. I appreciate uh, some of you have been praying for my wife. She's back today. She had knee surgery. I forgot to tell you that was my bad, so I was in trouble. That's why I wasn't here last week. She had knee surgery and was recovering, and she's back in her corner over here. So thank you for praying for her. She's actually walking now. And I said, it's no big deal. It's arthroscopic surgery. She goes, they're not cutting on your knee, are they? I said, excellent point. So like my little light is kind of cool. Leave it on. All right, take your Bibles if you haven't already. And turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians. Each week, my oldest daughter does a little, uh, does a little sermon deal for me, and then she emails it to me, and she sends it to Dan with the PowerPoint. And she sent him the new outline this week, and, and Dan said, well, I didn't think he was ever going to finish that other one. So we were on it for a while, but it was, uh, God really used that in my life. I, it was something... Uh, fascinating to me that I that as I got into that and just couldn't get out get out of it I really want to kind of share something with you today that the more I think about it and if you'll notice the title of, of today's message is foundations for life in this idea of have you met life and I was thinking about just how incredibly busy we get and, and all that you've got going on and I'm thinking specifically about those of you that are parents if, if you're married or if, if you're a parent, raise your hand. All right. And uh, how many of you have children under the age of 15? Oh, let us pray. <laughs> but I was thinking uh, about you guys again, and, and that, my children are all grown. Doesn't mean they're grown up, but they're, I'm, I'm 56, but I'm not grown up yet. I'm one of those bumper stickers that said I refuse to grow up. I think that was, was made for me. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, when are you going to quit dressing like you think you're 13? I tie your shoes. And I said, no, I can't do that. So it's a physical reason. I cause my feet hurt all the time. That's called, never mind. So I was thinking about you as parents and in the process of going through, as I began to put these messages together, and I was reading a story about this lady named Karen Donovan. And she was an entrepreneurial lady. I think she was in, in, on the West Coast somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. But she had started a company called Rent-A-Wife. And... The idea in her company was that, that you'd pay her to come in and clean up behind you because it wasn't getting done, not necessarily by your wife, but because you just needed somebody to come clean up your house and, and, and maybe even cook a little bit for you, but just primarily to clean your house as Rent-A-Wife. And it wasn't going as good as she wanted it to, so she started two new companies called Rent-A-Husband and Rent-A-Family. And when she, she had two teenage sons, she said, what I'm going to do with, with Rent-A-Husband and Rent-A-Family is I will send you my husband and my two teenage sons, and they will come into your house, they will eat all the food, they will leave handprints everywhere, they'll not pick up behind themselves, they'll take a shower and leave wet towels and wet clothes everywhere, and then you will desperately need Rent-A-Wife. <laughs> you will call me and say, oh, we need your help desperately. 
But as I, again, as I began to go through the process of looking at what do I want to share after we look at Paul? But you know, over the last few weeks, we looked at, at the life of Paul, and you notice at the top of your outline, it says 1 John 5, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has a Son has life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And notice this is written by the Apostle John. We're looking at some events from the life, we have been looking at some events from the life of, of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, and now over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is look at some things that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul, uh, God led Paul to write in encouragement to us as believers after all he had gone through. And over the last few weeks, we looked at the fact Paul met Jesus Christ, and it radically changed his life. But then he met a guy named Ananias. He met the church. He met the world. He met rejection. He met persecution. And he met a guy named Barnabas who was right there, God's perfect timing to encourage him when he desperately needed it. He needed a guy to come up, put his arm around him and say to the church, accept this guy. I vouch for him. Paul's life was not all roses and easy because he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and was born again. Your life and my life as believers will not always go smoothly. As a matter of fact, Paul writes a lot about that. One of the things he writes to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith was, understand that you will suffer persecution if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. It is a fact. It will come. He had been persecuted. He knew that Timothy would, and the Lord led him to write that we all would. If you choose to live the Christ life, if you choose to be a believer who stands up for your faith and is real, and you will suffer persecution. It will be a fact. It will come. But God says, you know what? That's a good thing. And Paul even writes in this very book, Philippians, that it's a privilege, that it's a high call to suffer, to share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He called it the fellowship, the sharing in common is what the word means of what Jesus went through. So what Paul experienced after he was born again is God sent to him a guy named Ananias. He sent to him a guy named Barnabas. He eventually meets a lot of believers and what he experiences is true love and he experiences character and he sees in them how Jesus had changed him. He's discipled, he's taught, and then he turns around and he takes the gospel to the world just like Jesus had told the church to do. And to this day, 2,000 years later, we study his writings. We learn from them. God uses them to mold and to shape us as his children into what he wants us to be. So here's my passion that I want to share with you today, a little bit next week, but primarily today, is that our country is in a, a, just a desperate mess in a lot of ways. We are a culture that has forgotten what it really means to serve the one true God. We've even forgotten who he is, even in our churches and in our religious institutions, in many ways and in many locations, we simply have forgotten who God is. So you'll notice I called this today Foundations for Life from Philippians chapter 1. So what we're going to see today is Paul's prayer for us, for his fellow believers, and I really want to focus primarily on homes, 
Because here's what I want to encourage you. If, encourage you in, if America is ever going to go back to what God founded, it was founded to be, if we're going to be what God intends us to be, the instrument, the tool that will make that happen are homes, individual homes like mine and yours, specifically yours where children are, small children especially, where they're still in your home, and in my case I have grandchildren that I see a lot, but even if you're not married and don't have children, these principles apply, but in your home where children are for that next generation that they will see, they will experience the one true God so that their homes will have that foundation. Because if our country is going to change, it foundationally has to begin with Christian homes. We have to decide that it's that important to us. Specifically, fathers and mothers have to decide it's that important. In 1947, I wrote a book called Family and Civilization. 1947, this was, this was obviously right after World War II. And he's writing on the history of different cultures and their disintegration. He was talking about various cultures in the past and how they had just imploded and no longer existed and what had happened. And he said he discovered eight consistent principles in those cultures that led ultimately to their destruction. Here are those eight things he discovered. Patterns that developed in those cultures that led ultimately to their destruction. The name of the book is Family and Civilization. Number one, marriage lost its sacredness and the meaning of the marriage ceremony was lost. The feminist movements abounded. Disrespect increased dramatically for parents and authority in general. Juvenile delinquency increased. Promiscuity and rebellion increased. There was a refusal to accept family responsibilities. There was a growing acceptance of adultery. And there was a radical increase in sexual perversion and sexual crime. That was written in 1947 about cultures historically had it disintegrated. Was he a prophet? He was. That's exactly where we are. Where we accept sexual perversion as just an alternative. Where we say, yeah, it's not that big a deal whether you stay married and committed to the one you stood before, stood beside, before God and witnesses. It's not that big a deal. If you don't want to be married, then don't be married. But especially for us as believers, we have to decide that when God speaks, he means it. That it's important, that it's real, and that it will dominate my life to be obedient to my God. So what I want to do is look at what Paul prays for us in Philippians chapter 1. This is what this is. It's his prayer for this church that he desperately loved at Philippi. I want you to notice what he prays for them and how these principles are the foundations in our homes. And if our homes are built on these foundations, then that will honor God. And if it spreads like it should through Christian homes, it will impact our culture into being what God wants it to be. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and let's begin to read in verse 1, just the context leading up to these principles. Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, believers, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. It'll come up again later. He's saying to them, I pray for you regularly. 
And one of the things I'm confident of is that God has begun a work in your life. Our focus today is in your homes. God has begun a work in your homes as Christian homes. And I'm confident he will finish that until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, until Christ comes back the second time to finally judge and set up the kingdom, he will continue to work through believers individually and our focus today in our homes. Paul's prayer and Paul's confidence is that we continue until Jesus Christ comes back. Has Jesus come back yet? If he has, we missed it, but he hasn't. He hasn't come back yet. He is. I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. And if you see some knucklehead on TV or somebody who writes a book that tells you they figured out exactly when he's coming back, you need to write or remind yourself that I said that was a knucklehead. The reason I say that it's a biblical term, knucklehead, is that they don't know. Nobody knows. All we do know is that he is coming back. But until he comes back, he gives us as believers, saints that Paul is writing to, he gives to us as believers, specifically as fathers and mothers, the privilege of pouring into the next generation true. 